Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Datsy Tsenovska, social anthropologist and speaker at the Why the World Needs Anthropologists, The Power of Isolation, happening between 27th and 29th of October in Brach, Croatia. We are happy to have Datsy with us speaking to her background and her experience and thoughts on isolation. She shares about her current research on emptiness and links it to isolation. Through fieldwork stories, she further details the condition of emptiness, of which isolation is an element, and explores what happens when this condition is seen as a site of opportunities. Lastly, she talks about what excites her the most about coming to the conference, as well as her advice to those considering to attend. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Datsy, one of the speakers of the Why the World Needs Anthropology Conference. Hi! Hello. I'm uh, really excited to have you with us today, that's it. Um, but before we go into the content of your um, participation, I'm just curious if you can tell me and our listeners a little about, about um, who you are and what you are doing at the moment. Of course. Uh, I, my name is Datsy Zanowska. I'm a social anthropologist, though I actually uh, became a cultural anthropologist uh, in the United States and that came... Uh, back to Europe and, and uh, <laughs> my adjectives changed, although not what I do. I'm myself from Latvia, uh, but, uh, but, I've, so, but I'm working now at Oxford University, which is in the UK. Now, currently I'm in Latvia. I'm in the eastern part of Latvia called Latgalev, well, where I'm doing fieldwork um, on emptiness, which is also related mm. to the topic um, of the event that we'll mm. be discussing. Yeah, and that's it. What are you doing now in at Oxford? What is your what is your? Yes, topic? I'm. Uh, my formal title is associate professor in anthropology of migration. So I teach uh, courses for masters and graduates for masters and doctoral students on migration, anthropology of migration, on uh, space and power. Uh, mm-hmm. So a wide variety, not wide variety, but you know, a variety of things related to anthrop- basically anthropology of power. Um, in one way or another but currently I'm on research leave so oh yeah um, yeah and and do you have a particular area of research that you are um, exploring or focusing on well it's uh, I that thematically I I've been working on migration capitalism sovereignty sort of again power uh, particular forms of power um especially in the context of post-socialist transition. So what happens in societies after the collapse of Soviet Union and kind of rethinking uh, how life is organized at various levels, you know, from the political to the economic to the sort of social relations. My first book was um, on tolerance, which is something that, you know, was um, and perhaps remains still um, uh, kind of a, a public issue in, in, in Latvia where I primarily work, but also other parts of the, uh, former Soviet Union and, and socialist Eastern Europe. And that sort of was a critique of this notion of tolerance, um, mm. that I found to be, 
um, sort of a part of a kind of a civilizing process of liberalizing societies, but but not necessarily addressing the core issues um, that gave rise to phenomena that were kind of perceived to be intolerant. Yeah, that's fascinating. Also, as as my I myself come from Eastern Europe, Romania, so I I I connect with a lot of these topics that you are in, inquiring. Very very Great. good. Um, that's it. And what what drew you to the um, to the conference to the Wild the World Needs Anthropology? Uh, well, uh, the topic, firstly, uh, uh, but, but uh, of course, it was conversations with the organizers of the conference, with Dan in particular. Um, we came to the realization that, uh, you know, isolation, like emptiness, belongs to that category of conditions uh, that can be experienced as good or bad, depending on the time of Uh, day on who is experiencing them, whether it's forced or voluntary, whether it's permanent or temporary, uh, and so forth and so on. So there are interesting connections between the two uh, conditions. So the theme of the conference kind of spoke to you. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about um, what you are going to address at the conference? Like what is the, what's the, what is the topic that you are considering to dive into? Well, I will talk about uh, uh, my research on emptiness. Again, this uh, what I call emptiness is a condition of life in um, uh, villages and towns, in my case, in Latvia. But uh, I have a team of researchers who work in other uh, countries as well, including Romania. Um, and this emptiness is uh, a condition uh, where people live in places that are losing their constitutive elements, you know, schools, people, services. Uh, transportation routes are being cancelled and so forth and so on. And of course also in such conditions social relations are thinning out. There are fewer people around. The residents themselves are getting older and immobile. There are uh, no regular buses to get them to places. There are no services, no public places where to sit on a bench and simply talk to each other. Uh, so, for example, in one of the villages where I work, there are two elderly ladies. Each lives at a different end of the village. They talk on the phone every day, but they haven't seen each other for years. And it was only last year we arranged for them to meet in a cemetery, which is the only public place sort of left in the village. So I will talk about this uh, this condition of emptiness, you know, which of which isolation is an element. These women felt isolated, of course. Um And about what happens when this condition is seen as positive, as potentially uh, a site of all kinds of opportunities and who sees it that way. So how is it that, for example, when I tell about emptiness to people who don't live in these places, you know, to urban dwellers, to, uh, you know, other people that kind of from from aside who uh, who think, oh, well, emptiness, it's just in the eye of the beholder. So it's a matter of negative worldview that these people have. You should see this, you know, you could see this in positive terms. There's more nature, less pollution, you know, all this closer to, you know, to sort of the land and so forth and so on. So, and it's, I would, I'm going to argue that it's not just as a, a matter of perspective, that there are some pretty significant differences between people who see it as a 
lamentable condition and people who see it as something positive, as something, you know, to be embraced, enjoyed and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious because the word empty um, implies, at least etymologically, a lack of something, a missing of something. Um What would be, in, in your particular case, or the way you're looking at the emptiness phenomenon, that thing which is making the space empty? Or Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, again, uh, our perception of the term, that's another interesting thing. I mean, I'm using the language of emptiness, not because I arrived in a place and thought, oh, there's nothing here, <laughs> but rather because the people who lived there described their worlds in this way. Mm. So they would tell me, Everything is getting empty, you know. So for them, it was about radical changing, uh, radical changes uh, in the relations that made their world. And that meant that what was familiar was losing form, you know, that mm-hmm. they could no longer um, socialize in the same way because, you know, there were no people. Their family mm-hmm. was working in England uh, and so forth and so on. So they were certainly losing certain things, you know. It's not to say that there was nothing there. I mean, other relationships emerged. So, for mm. example, a retired nurse would tend to the wounds of the villagers or a postal worker would bring milk in addition to uh, mail, uh, you know, and animals would come to the yard. And so, I mean, yes, you could say new relations were emerging, but for those who lived there, they thought of it as emptiness. But just another thing uh, about the kind of the etymology of the world. Yes, it sort of suggests uh, something that's missing. But what's missing, for example, you know, there was lots of kind of emptiness uh, as a kind of a originary moment out of which certain things emerge. So you could also think about emptiness as a kind of original chaos, right? When things are not ordered in a recognizable way, which is what it was for these people, right? Their world which was ordered in a particular way, was losing form, and they meant, and they described it as empty. So it's not about things not being there, but rather about familiar order kind of collapsing, you know, mm. and then that is on the one hand the loss, but on the other hand, you know, yes, new things can be sort of made out of it, you know, but then who makes them and how, that's a really important question. Yeah, and these are some of the threads that you will be following in your talk, right? These questions around the who and the how and what emerges yes, out exactly. of those spaces yes. as, as pos- yes. possibilities, new possibilities. Yes, yes because, you know, I, I really want to focus in on this kind of how is it that seemingly one and the same thing can be seen as a loss by some an opportunity, uh, you know, by others. But I will complicate that. I will really kind of focus in on the differences of status, of class, of, you know, location, you know, in this kind of different perception. Mm. There yeah. is a, actually a Russian um, a Russian writer called Dmitry Gorchev who's um, died now, but uh, whose take on this I find very interesting. He, at some point, moved from a city to a countryside lo- location, sort of started living in the country, you know, and he put it in a very sort of succinct terms. He said something along the lines of, you know, every, when he's in the countryside in these emptying places, he said, you know, when in the evening, when it gets dark, I think to myself, I've got to hell, I've got to get the hell out of here. And then in the morning, when the sun comes up, I think, oh, how wonderful it is here. And that's the kind of sort of a sentiment that I think 
you know, captures the sort of feelings associated with both uh, emptiness, but also something like isolation, you know, that it can feel terrible, but then it can also feel wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm interested because you mentioned, um, I think at some point during your explanation that you're doing this project in more countries. Yes. How, what, what are those countries? Uh, we have a team of five people uh, working. So I work in uh, Latvia in the borderlands area um, bordering Russia. Uh, we have a, a scholar working in East Germany in a former mining community. Um, we have another uh, team member, um, Maria Gunko, the person working in Germany is, is, is uh, Frederica Pank. Maria Gunko is working in uh, Armenia. Um, then we have Volodymyr Artyuk, who worked in Ukraine until the beginning of the war and then relocated to Romania, still working on uh, Ukraine and with Ukrainians, uh, specifically looking at how people sort of relate to the places that they have left. So not necessarily so much on the refugee pathways, but rather on their relationship to the place. Yeah. Um, and then we have, uh, Dominic Martin working in the Far East, Russia, the Russian Far East, uh, in a former military town. Wow. Quite, quite different landscapes to explore this phenomenon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what was for, for important mm -hmm. for us because what is interesting is that, of course, every single place has different historical pathways. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they're all connected in a way. By having been part of socialist modernity, one version or another. Um, but, you know, what's interesting is that now in the present, there are different political um, processes taking place in each of these places, different sort of economic configurations. And yet this emptying is taking place, a kind of recognizable emptying, you know, is some is taking place in all of them. So that's interesting. What is it about these places, you know? That, that brings them uh, also together. To similar right? outcomes, mm. yeah. Even though their histories are, are you know, again similar but different. So that's yeah. another kind of dimension that we look at. You know, what what are these sort of connections? Yeah, sounds really fascinating. Can, cannot hear to. I cannot wait to hear more about it at the conference. Um, Great. <laughs> that's it. I have another question that might be a little bit on the side, but it it drew my attention when you mentioned earlier about these two um, women that you uh, that haven't seen each other for um, for years, and you facilitated or the researcher facilitated a meeting in a cemetery. Um, I'm, I'm curious of, of the kind of let's say methods that you're using in this kind of inquiry of this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah. Yeah. I well, I use the rather traditional anthropological methods of participant observation, but in the sort of uh, you know uh, participant uh, <laughs> as much as observation modality, because you know I basically treat my interlocutors as you know as friends and partners, and in in a way you know spend a lot of time. With both of these ladies, I do help them uh, when they need something, you know, mm -hmm. to bring things, to take them places and so and so forth and so on. So I definitely kind of intervene in their worlds in this way. You know, I don't sort of just observe them uh, at the age of 95, you know, uh, chopping wood alone in the yard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I uh, if they if they know that, you know, they are both 
would like to go to the cemetery because it's one of these uh, cemetery remembrance days and this is when you usually go to it, you know, and if I can help them actually both be there at the same time, then that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, and then I can imagine new opportunities emerge out of those moments that you wouldn't have thought about before. Well, I mean, yes. Uh, what I find about these two ladies in particular very interesting is that, you know, how is that possible that you don't see each other for years? You live, you know, two kilometers apart, but you can't get to each other because you're too old. You don't, the buses are no longer going. You can't walk at that age that long and the buses don't go. So you have to then rely on other people to drive you there. But that means you have to arrange, you know, busy people who come get you and take you to your friend. And that doesn't happen very often. And in such conditions, they depend on the on the telephone. They talk to each other every day. They spend a lot of time on the phone. And so this is really interesting, you know, um, Uh, if you think about the conference where we're going to have to turn off our phones and leave them aside and ultimately with the idea, I suppose, that we spend too much time on the social media, on our phones, you know, taking pictures mm -hmm. of what we eat and sending them to friends and that isolation is isolation from technology, you know, and recover re recovering what it means to be together with other people face to face. That's what I read off of the conference kind of, you know, site. But for these women, it's the other way around. It's yeah. actually the technology that is allowing them to maintain very important social connections, right? It's, it's very interesting. And again, this is the difference, right? When you sort of, what we are going to do is we're going to suspend our lives for a moment to recover mm -hmm. something. And mm -hmm. they actually, in the absence of phone or other technology, their lives would be suspended because they wouldn't be able to talk to, you know, to each other and maintain these very important social connections. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It reminds me, I'm going to go on a small tangent, but I think it's connected. I was asked a few months ago by um, by an artist here living in Amsterdam, but coming also from Romania, to kind of um, opening up the space at her exhibition. So her graduation movie was on the topic of solitude, where she spent, um, I think, six or eight months in the Carpathian Mountains um, in, a, in an almost desolated village spending time with an old woman in her 80s that was was almost living isolated in the mountain, filming her life. So then she asked me, hey, can you look at my 20 minutes video um, movie, short documentary, as she called it, and then give an introduction from your both as a Romanian, but also as an anthropologist about the topic. So what struck me uh, that's in her uh, documentary was similar to what you were saying, that she started um, spending, you know, she spent three months with a woman. She, they lived together and she shot her constantly. And then the woman started talking about her life, her ancestors, her dead husband, her family. And then when 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 this um, girl started playing back to her parts of what what she was recording in a kind of a video diary kind of way, then she started um, um, she started really looking at her own life through a, through a different lens, through a different perspective because of hearing herself talk in that very visceral way, and kept that was captured on camera. So um, it was very yeah, it, it struck me like the power of technology of kind of reframing solitude or reframing emptiness in a different way and giving back things, you know? Um, yes, yeah. that sounds very interesting. I, I'd like, I'd like to see the film. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can I can check with her and and send you uh, the link if if Absolutely. it's possible. That would be very, very um, interesting. Now we don't have much time together, but I wanted to, but I also don't want to ask you too many questions about the project, which sounds fascinating because we will be at the conference hearing more about it. So in, in the conclusion of this, I wanted to ask you if you have any thoughts or any message that you want to share with, with those out there coming to the conference or considering to come to the conference. Well, I think that I could probably wish them to experience uh, something that uh, this uh, Russian writer that I mentioned, Dmitry Gorchev, experienced. You know that that uh, that there, I hope that there will be moments when the participants will think, "Oh God, this is terrible! I can't connect to anyone. I've got to get out of here." And then there will be moments when they will think, "This is wonderful! You know, I will. I want to stay here forever." So I think the kind of a range of experiences where you feel both disturbed and elated, that would be my wish uh, for the participants. Yeah, I, I love this because it's almost as, as an invitation to, you know, like pay attention to the state that this space is going to put you through, you know, and kind of reflect on them. What do they mean to you? Sounds good. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to seeing you at the conference. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.